It's time for Silver and Black Today Game Day. We're breaking down the Raiders' upcoming game and bring you in-depth analysis from National Football Insiders. Let's get the nation fired up. Here are your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moten. Welcome back to Silver and Black Today Game Day only here on The Fan Welcome to Raider Nation across the country, across the world, streaming us live on the Odyssey app. If you don't have the Odyssey app, make sure you download it. You can listen to us live wherever you're at. So a hearty good morning on this Sunday morning to Raider Nation. Another tough week in Raider Nation, of course, because of the Henry Ruggs deadly crash. You guys all know the story. We're not going to recap all of it, but I bring in my co-host now, Mr. Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer for Bleacher Report, covers the Raiders, also for VegasSportsToday.com. And Mo, it's been a tough week. It's been a week full of emotion for not only the Raiders in the locker room, for the organization in Las Vegas, but also for fans who are still trying to process uh, such a horrific incident and such a tragedy that encompasses um, several families, including that of the victim of this 23-year-old Tina Tintor, who unfortunately lost her life along with her pet, her dog, uh, in this wreck, uh, reportedly and allegedly Henry Ruggs, drunk, twice the legal limit, traveling at 156 miles per hour down Rainbow Boulevard in Las Vegas near Spring Valley, an area I've gone countless times with my children in my car. So it's a, it's a, a three in the morning, not as crowded, but still just a horrific situation for everyone around Mo and another tough week, another, another bump uh, that these Raiders have to deal with in their lives and a huge tragedy and just something that's really, frankly, just hard to put words to to this day. Yeah, my deepest condolences go out to Tina Torres' family. Um, I believe what you're seeing across the board amongst fans, players who spoke to the media, even us in our group chats is just compassion. I think that's what our country needs a lot more of uh, now, uh, not just for the situation, but across the board. And just think about people affected by the situation. Tina Tintor's family, uh, Ruggs has a daughter. Uh, his girlfriend was in the car. His family, who obviously loves him, cares about him. Uh, just a sad situation across the board. The one word to describe it, and a lot of people have said it, it's tragic. And there's no other way to to uh, frame it. And unfortunately, we we have to somehow switch over to talk football. But a lot of a lot of fans haven't been really in the mood to talk football, and I completely understand it. And I and I've been with them on that one. Yeah, and I understand that too because again, this is a human story first because of the loss of life, and because of the 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 loss of freedom most likely for Henry Ruggs for a very very long time, and then the impact it has on multiple families, those of Tina Tintor obviously and her friends. Uh, who lost someone near and dear to them. And then, of course, the Ruggs family, as you mentioned, small child. And uh, being a father, too, Mo, it's it's hard for me, you know, on both sides, not only when a parent um, is the victim of a crime or passes away early, but also when a parent makes a bad decision uh, and the child who just loves that parent um, blindly and has to deal with this now for the rest of their life and the loss of, of their father in their life. It's just, it, like you said, it's tragic all the way around. We're also going to talk about the legal 
issues and implications here. We're going to get some legal perspective. Our guest uh, this segment will be our good friend and our uh, longtime sponsor here on Silver and Black today is attorney Michael Troiano. He is a criminal defense attorney here in town. And if you've listened to our show over the last couple of years, Michael used to be on all the time once a week mm-hmm. and he would talk about issues like this. So we're going to get some of the legal perspective to, to know a little bit about what Henry Ruggs is facing and also some of the other implications legally and know more about what the state of Nevada does and handles situations like this. But, but Mo, I want to get back to that human angle before we, we go out to the phones and, and bring on Michael and talk a little bit about this because Derek Carr at his press conference on Wednesday, man, it was, you know, I got emotional just watching him talk because he, he exhibited so much and we don't talk about religion. We're here to talk about football, but if someone who like me is very strong in their faith, a Christian who believes in all of those tenants to see him up there and to talk about it and to not only um, do it with such grace and dignity, but also to talk about all sides of it. And, and for some people, like you said, it might be too soon to talk about all sides of it. But he talked about Henry Ruggs. And this was, I think, if you want to call it controversial or the, 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 the comment that evoked the most emotion out of people was when he talked about Henry Ruggs. And he said, you know what? Henry Ruggs needs someone to love him. And if if no one else is going to do it, then I'm going to do it. Uh, that was an unequivocal statement and to me shows the kind of person Derek Carr is forget the football. This is a human story. Um, and to me, that compassion, uh, for not only the person who lost their life, but also for the person who perpetrated allegedly this issue, this crime, this issue, this horrific decision, uh, was really remarkable, Mo. Right. And a lot of people on social media and on a previous show have heard me say compassion a lot. Derek Carr exhibited forgiveness along with that compassion, along with leadership. But his comment, uh, you know, kind of rubbed pe- people the wrong way. And I would assume a lot of those people are are connected to or have been involved in certain situations involving drunk driving or reckless driving. So they don't want to hear about the compassion for Hemi Ruggs. But I understand where Carr is coming from as a man of faith. He believes in forgiveness. And and I believe someone on social media, on Twitter, phrased it very well when he said he sees the good in people even when they uh, make poor decisions or, or are involved in horrible acts. He showed the same compassion and forgiveness with John Gruden. He said he, he loves the man and hates the sin. I, 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 I'm paraphrasing that, but that's yeah. along the lines of what he said. And it's the same goes for Henry Ruggs uh, making a terrible decision. And I just want to say that because Henry Ruggs is a part of that locker room, he's a brother to a lot of those players. They're not just going to throw him away just because he made an awful, awful, terrible decision. Uh, they haven't. I don't believe they've reached out to him yet. He's he's got to go through a lot of legal proceedings, uh, but I'm sure they will eventually. And and they'll say, look, he has to face the consequences, but we still love the person. Yeah, and Mo, you said it on our Friday show down in Southern California too that you know different people. It takes them time. They, they deal with things differently when it comes to loss and when it comes to situations like this. Uh, and that's totally right. So, so there's going to be people and, and forgiveness is to me as somebody, you know, who, who grew up Catholic and continues to raise my family Catholic and my kids go to Catholic school, the whole deal. To me, it's the hardest thing ever is to forgive those who you feel have egregious you, who've, who've, who've committed some sort of um, act against you or have betrayed you or whatever the, the situation might be, the act of forgiveness is so difficult. And it takes people sometimes years and years to get there. And it takes some people never get there. And I understand it. And I'm not passing judgment on that. I'm just saying that the fact that 
people can't see or, or aren't in yet, even in the frame of mind to think about forgiveness in this case, uh, when it's only a few days old, I totally understand that. And I'm not criticizing them for it either, but, but you're right. It has to do with that. And I also want to dovetail before we bring Michael on for a quick minute here is this idea that you and I talk about all the time, which is personal responsibility. Because I saw a lot, I saw national writers, I saw people on TV personalities, I saw news people, I saw political talking heads on both sides of the aisle blame Las Vegas. Like somehow, you know, because the NFL is now in Las Vegas, that's why Henry Ruggs decided to drink too much allegedly and get in his car and drive 156 miles per hour and kill Tina Tintor in that horrific accident. And to me, that is ridiculous because not only number one, do I defend Las Vegas because I've lived there twice, but also because it takes away from the true focus of what the issue here is. The issue is here. Unfortunately, he made a Henry Ruggs made a terrific and terrible choice, but it was his choice. He chose to drink. He chose to allegedly drink and drive, and he chose to exceed the speed limit by a hundred miles per hour plus and, and do all the things that he had done. And so Mo, the fact that people want to make excuses or, or blame his external environment for that is just flabbergasting. Yeah. The word is accountability. Um, I see a lot in society now. It's, it's everyone else's fault. It's this situation. It, you know, uh, not his fault, not her fault. Uh, it's because of my circumstances, because of my situation. No, take accountability for your actions. And Ruggs has, has got to deal with his recklessness right now. And, and it has nothing to do to me, has nothing to do with him being in Vegas. If he wanted to drink and speed 156 miles per hour, he would have done it in Texas. He would have done it in yep. Delaware, Dallas, anywhere he would have been at that moment. He would have done it anyway, whether it's Vegas or somewhere else. So I don't want to hear about, oh, this is why you don't want a team in Vegas. This is why you don't want young guys with money in Vegas. Listen, people make bad decisions all over the country, all over the world. And and as I said on the Friday show, Darren Waller and Max Crosby have had issues in their past, and they've walked a straight and narrow, and they haven't made bad decisions. So boil it down to the person, not the place. Absolutely. And, 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 and I'll close that with... Also, all those other guys in the locker room have had no trouble <laughs> in Las All right, now we bring in our legal expert, of course, a guy you've heard many times on our shows across different channels, and that, of course, is uh, criminal defense attorney Michael Troiano. You can check him out at TrianoVegasLaw.com. Michael, uh, obviously, this whole Henry Rugg situation, just a tragedy in every direction, not only the victim, the young woman, Tina Tentor, who lost her life and her family, but then also the family, Henry Ruggs, his small child. All these folks' lives are altered, and I know that you deal with this all too often. But when we look at the Henry Ruggs case, I mean, this it, what is being alleged at this point um, with the 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 driving under the influence, with the speed involved, with a loaded weapon in the car to to, to compound it all. Is this one of the worst you've seen uh, in the Las Vegas Valley in in the business? I mean, I've seen cases where there were multiple deaths. And- I think we can all agree one death is one too many when it comes to a traffic accident or uh, a DUI alleged in this case. But uh, as far as the speed is concerned, I know the prosecutor stated at the arraignment during the bail argument that the uh, presiding judge both agreed that this is one of the highest, if not highest, speeds they've seen in any criminal context. Um, and, And I would agree in my 13 years, of being a criminal defense attorney here in Vegas, 
I can't think of. Even just somebody with a simple speeding ticket, let alone uh, DUI, speed racing, reckless driving, things of that nature, that I've defended somebody to alleged gone that high. I've seen over 100, but 156, and then the, the black box apparently showed uh, 123, either at impact or two seconds prior to impact. It's, it's astonishing, especially if you're familiar with Vegas at all. That area, I just cannot fathom anybody even approaching that kind of speed in, in that sort of residential area. It's, it's, it's insane. So, Michael, um, just everyone is talking about Tina Tintora and rightfully so. She lost her life. Um, everyone's talking about two to 20 years for Henry Ruggs. But can he also be punished for the bodily harm of his girlfriend, who was also in that car? Um, would that up his up his uh, sentencing, in your opinion? Yes. And if, in fact, uh, she sustained serious injuries, which uh, they claimed in the initial media report, but prosecution is not going to go by the media reports. They're going to go by the medical documentation. Um, if, in fact, uh, she was injured to what, a point where we call substantial bodily harm, which in Nevada is a pretty broad term. Basically, anything that would be common sense, like a broken bone, uh, lack of use of a certain uh, limb, uh, or the, what really is the catch-all is difficult defending these cases sometimes that are not as gruesome as this resulting in a death is the, the quote in the statute is prolonged physical pain. Prolonged physical pain is very broad and, and hard to define. So if the district attorney gets that information uh, from her medical reports, which they'll subpoena, then they will add another charge, which will be another two to 20 year range she'll be facing. Yeah, no, I wanted to do that, uh, Michael, with a couple minutes we have left with you, because I think, you know, people look at it and say, oh, well, he's an athlete, so he'll only get two years. But but from from keeping track of cases and knowing, having talked to you over these years with other cases that have involved bodily injury and or death, is that, you know, those ranges are, are for the judge to use depending on the circumstances. In the circumstances of Henry Ruggs, though, and in this situation, with the, with the young woman who was killed, of course, but then with someone who might have had sustained that 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 damage that bodily damage um what is the most likelihood i mean you look at this i know you can't sit there and say well he's going to get x number of years but in similar cases like this what have you traditionally seen under nevada law well you know people do say that athletes and fans who get special treatment and i'm sure that's true in a lot of aspects of life uh but quite frankly it's probably going to go against him I'm not saying if you were just uh, joe schmo like the rest of us that you wouldn't get a high set circumstance uh, but this is international news, and it is on its face. Again, the, the defense team will do their own investigation, but it seems pretty clear there's a lot of overwhelming independent evidence of you know one of the highest-speed crashes on the local street um, in Vegas. So to circle back to your main point as far as the sentencing structure, uh, each count, whether it's death or bodily harm, is a 2 to 20-year range. That's mandatory. There is no probation for these, regardless if this is your very first time at the system, which sounds to be the case in his situation. Um, and, this, and the maximum under the law, the way our structure works, it would be 8 to 20 years per count. Um, so theoretically, if he was to go to trial, lose, show no remorse, and the judge wanted to max him out, he'd be looking at 16 to 40 years in the Nevada Department of wow. Corrections. To give it, your audience some, I guess, uh, uh, some context to something similar, uh, there was a 
very, very, very wealthy uh, individuals, uh, Scott Braxton, um, yep. and he has a lot of political ties here in Las Vegas too. There was family, you know, worth north of three hundred million dollars. So he's he's not an athlete, but he has the financial resources as well as the political clout. And uh, just uh, what a year, maybe a year and a half ago, then yep. he uh, he was in a similar situation, not the exact same facts, uh, but that led to I believe at least one death and another two people seriously injured in a DUI accident. And he was sentenced to uh, eight to twenty years because um, he was facing multiple counts, so he wasn't necessarily maxed out on his two counts. But uh, yeah, so I just warn anybody out there. Um, you got a couple hundred million in the bank and all the connections in the world. You kill somebody in DUI. There's a prime example of someone who's going away for eight to twenty years, and unfortunately for Mr. Ruggs, he's gonna do some prison time. But you know, I, I don't see any way around that. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. And, and as development happens with this, I know uh, the system works in the time that it works. It's not something that'll happen very quickly. Um, although I would imagine that uh, um, his attorney, a very famous one, of course, uh, Chesnoff will probably try to work to get through it as quickly as possible uh, and avoid a trial, but who knows. Um, but Michael Troiano is always a, a great source for us. And if you need help, uh, you can always give him a call or check him out at TrianoVegasLaw.com. Michael, thanks for being with us here again on Silver and Black Today Game Day. Absolutely, everybody. Be safe. Thank you. All right, there you go. The latest on Henry Ruggs, uh, Michael Troiano. We appreciate that. Mo, uh, we're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Giants. Joe DeLeon from the Big Blue View podcast will join us. He's from the Believe Podcast Network. You're with Mo. You're with Scott. This is Silver and Black Today game day only on The Fan in Las Vegas. Silver and Black Today game day is on. All right, welcome back to Silver and Black Today game day where today we're going to uh, focus now on football. Enough of the tragedy and all the discussion around that that we talked about in segment one. Now we're going to go out and we're going to talk to an expert on the New York Giants. And joining us now, Joe DeLeon. He is the host of the Big Blue View podcast, if I can say that twice really fast, um, on the Believe Network. And he's going to join us now to talk about the Giants. Joe, we look at this team two and six. Um, They're coming off a tough loss against the Chiefs, of course. The Raiders now are mad at the Giants because they really wanted them to beat the Chiefs uh, in the division. Um, I think they, I mean, obviously that to me, they should have won the game. Where is this Giants team overall? What's the mood like around them? And as we approach the halfway point, what's working? What's not working? Yeah, I think the overall mood right now for this, this Giants team is just frustration. The expectations were super high coming into the season. Uh, they went and Spent all this money in free agency going and getting Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson. They spent a draft pick on Kadarius Toney to, to really boost this offense that was non-existent last season. And they have not lived up to any of those expectations of being a prolific passing offense or just at least a competent passing offense. They've been one of the worst passing teams so far this season and then also one of the worst scoring teams so far this year. So a lack of ability – to produce for this Giants team has just been ultimately very frustrating for the fans, for former players, and then for the players themselves. Um, not to mention the fact that a lot of these games that they've lost so far have been really close games. And you look at last week's game, you talk about how that's a game that everyone really thought that the Giants had a chance to win. They were within three points of a team that was in the Super Bowl last year. And that was pretty much the epitome of what we've seen the, the, this Giants team do so far, which is 
do everything they can not to win and then lose in close fashion. They did it against Washington. They did it against the Chiefs. And they're probably going to keep doing it the rest of this year. So, Joe, this is Mo Moten jumping in. Uh, what do you think is the cause of some of those close losses? Can you pin it on just the offense not performing up to expectations? Is it some of it the injuries? Uh, do you place the blame on Joe Judge, the head coach? Because I'm, I, I'm very close to Giants Twitter, and I see a lot of finger pointing. So I just want to know where, where, do you put, where do you point the finger and responsibility in this? I point it directly at Jason Garrett. Putting up 17 points last week against one of the worst defenses in terms of points allowed is pretty pathetic in, in my opinion. And I understand you're without Kenny Galladay, uh, Sterling Shepard was down with an injury, but you still need to muster up something more than 17 points. Specifically in these close losses, it just it feels like that there's nothing creative being done with the play calling to put them in successful positions uh, to score in, in really, really important spots. They just they can't get down the field in a hurry if they need to. They've never been able to do that the entirety of the season or the entire time that Jason Garrett has been in New York. So I, I, I'm going right to, to Jason Garrett for those, those issues on offense, the issues with staying in these close games and being able to win them. Uh, a lot of it comes down to the play calling and an inability to throw the football. Joe DeLeon of the Big Blue View podcast on the Believe Podcast Network is our guest. We're talking New York Giants football here on Silver and Black Today Game Day. And Joe, we look on the offense. I want to stay there just to talk about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones as a quarterback, as a kid, I was really excited about. Um, I've seen just amazing flashes of brilliance, and then I've seen days where he's not looked so great. Is his issue continuing to be just finding the consistency that he needs to be the starting quarterback in New York over the long term? Yeah, I think consistency is a good way to put it. But the one thing that holds Daniel Jones back the most is nothing that he has physically. If you compare him to any of the other top quarterbacks in the NFL, he has the traits. He's got a good arm. He's a big guy. He's deceptively fast and athletic. He can move. He can throw off platforms. The thing that hinders Daniel Jones is his ability to process and make decisions. You can still see it within multiple years in the league so far, here we are, year three, that he takes way too long to make decisions sometimes. And that was the big problem his first year, which led all the fumbles and all the sacks, and he sped it up. But he is still not making the right decisions when he needs to. And it's something that's probably, actually probably might not even be something that he can even fully grasp. You can never really fix problems like that it's very very hard Daniel Jones is a really smart kid but if you just don't have that innate ability to think quickly and know where the ball needs to be some some guys just can't have that coach in them you talked about earlier you talked about Jason Garrett being the blame with the play calling and, and now with Daniel Jones and his issues do you think some of his problems are, are because of the play calling do you think he could be successful in a different system let's say the Giants do keep him around do you think that he's salvageable as a as a top pick in the 2019 draft, or is it a situation the Giants just have to move on from? I think it's definitely salvageable. You look at some of these other quarterbacks in the NFL that are in perfect situations where they just need to be a little bit above average. They're in a good offense. They're fully supported. I think like Baker Mayfield is a good comparison. Like Baker Mayfield on any other team is going to struggle, and he's struggling right now because a lot of the guys that have helped him be successful are hurt. He hasn't really had OBJ, he hasn't had Jarvis Landry, he's off his blind things up. So for Daniel Jones, yeah, it's salvageable, but he needs to be in a really ideal situation. I do put an emphasis on 
the play calling and the decision-making by Jason Garrett uh, for hindering him from taking that next step. Because it, it almost feels like after that first year, playing under Pat Shermer, he was put up a ton, a ton of big games, uh, a lot of big stat lines that he was able to produce. And then he's kind of fallen off a cliff, not really coming much closer to what he did in his rookie season. The offense that Jason Garrett's calling is something from 1995, and he needs to get caught up with, with the times because he's, he's trying to do stuff that everybody knows how to stop. He's not, there's nothing creative about it. There's a reason why these coaches that um, uh, you know dig into what college teams are doing that use RPOs and then are also look at a team like the Browns and uh, um, the, the Titans that know how to build an offense around play action and stuff like that, they have a good running back. They're capable of doing it. They're just running an antiquated offense. Talk about Kadarius Toney, too, his addition to this roster and what he's been able to do uh, when the Giants do get it going on offense and his contribution there. Yeah, Toney's been fantastic when he's been healthy and fully available. It took him a little bit of time to get rolling and get onto the field uh, because of some issues with his foot during the preseason. They wanted to make sure that he was fully caught up and ready to go before they got him on the field. But what we saw him do against the Dallas Cowboys early on in the season, he had 200 scrimmage yards, if I'm correct. And that game was a pretty good indicator of what he's capable of doing. He's not going to do that every single week, I don't think. But he's capable of putting up big games like that and being a uh, a spark plug type guy. He's probably not going to get a a ton of touches because he's not really like a volume receiver. But he's somebody you should put out there to return kicks that could pick up a huge gain. He's somebody that you can run gadget plays like they did against the Chiefs where he came on an end around, he threw a pass, and he completed a 19-yard reception. Uh, He was a former high school quarterback, so he has that in him if he needs to do it. But he is a really, really good athlete. He is the the big play threat that this Giants offense has needed. He just hasn't been entirely available because he's been a, a little bit banged up in his first year. So, Joe, I'm in New York City, so I watch a lot of Giants games. And I and I know it's, this is going to sound weird the Giants are, you know, because of their record, but I still think the Giants could be a good football team. I, I'm looking at certain players, and I'm looking at certain performances, and I, I actually do still think they have a solid defense, but I think their offense not producing hurts the defense because they're on the field. Would you agree with that statement? Do you think this team can still turn it around at some point? Oh, 100%. Uh, you talk about the defense being really good. They have a really talented defense. And it's being orchestrated by, in my opinion, the most underrated defensive coordinator in the NFL. To do what he did against the Chiefs last week, only allowing 20 points, is a pretty good example of that. He is really, really good at putting together game plans and shutting down opposing offenses with the the unit that he has available to him. Exactly like you said, though, the offense is what's holding them back. They need to figure that out. This team is definitely capable of being competitive within the next few seasons. And you could probably produce results with Daniel Jones to the level of uh, him just playing average to slightly above average, but they need to fix the offensive line, and they really, really need to move on from Jason Garrett. 
Yeah, and it's interesting uh, as well. You look at uh, that defense. I mean, your your point about the the performance against the Chiefs, it really impressed me. I had watched them a little bit throughout the course of the year, but obviously with them uh, facing the Raiders uh, later today there in New York, I really looked at I mean, you had the Julian Love interception of Mahomes, and of course, Darnay Holmes had that one that was called back because of the penalty. And what I like that they do is they really make it difficult on quarterbacks pre-snap. Is that something you anticipate them really focusing and amping up against Derek? Carr because Derek Carr is having a great year and it seems to me like that that scenario worked perfectly against Mahomes oh yeah 100 percent you see the Raiders right now that they're really struggling to run the football and I see this as a a Patrick Graham uh type of scheme where he's going to say you know go ahead try and run the football again against us go and do whatever you want you'll pick up a couple good games we're going to trust our defensive line but we're going to have a lot of pre-snap movement. We're going to disguise our coverages, which they do so fantastically well um, so far this year. They're going to try to confuse Derek Carr definitely with their secondary. And the way that they're going to do it is with those disguised coverages, uh, with varying the coverages. But I, I think the emphasis will be trying to slow down Derek Carr. And maybe Josh Jacobs or whoever's available at running back this week runs the ball effectively. I don't think they'll be too hurt if that happens. If they can actually slow down um, Derek Carr, that's going to be a a key factor for them if they're going to win this game. Joe DeLeon uh, from the Big Blue View Giants podcast on the Believe Podcast Network is our guest. And, And Joe, before we let you go, too, you look at this team and where it's headed. And as Mo said, there's talent there. There's the opportunity to improve and become the competitive team that I know all the fans out there want them to be. Um, but there's a guy at the top there, Dave Gettleman. Um, if this thing doesn't get turned around this season, is that going to be curtains for him? Is he finally going to be gone? Or what do you think about his position with the Giants and there as a GM? Uh, I think even if they manage to somehow make that that seventh wild card spot, which Somehow it's still a possibility. But if that still happens, I still think that Dave Gettleman is out. Um, There has been a resounding frustration from fans, from uh, pretty much everybody around the the organization. Former players also not really fan of the decision-making of of Dave Gettleman. But they are going to be in a really difficult cap spot this upcoming offseason because he basically went all in on free agency this year in hopes of them making a playoff run to buy him some time. And if they don't at least make the playoffs, uh, I I really don't see him coming back uh, just for the circumstance that whoever takes over for him is going to have a really difficult time dealing with the cap situation and, and dealing with some of these expiring contracts for guys like Evan Ingram and, and an extension for Daniel Jones. Before we let you go, Joe, I have to ask you, because he's one of my favorite guys to watch, and that, of course, was Saquon Barkley. Um, what's going on with him? What What does the future look like uh, with him and the Giants? I, it's a bit tough to, to really predict what's going to happen with Saquon Barkley. He hasn't been available very much over the past couple of years. I think at the very least, if he puts out good numbers and good performances in the final stretch of the season, he'll probably – there will probably be more confidence in him, but if his availability continues to lack, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a name that is floated out there in trade discussions, especially if there's a new general manager. If he's not available, he's not available, and you can't really do much if, if he's not there, and you could probably get some pretty good value for him considering where he was drafted and how good of an athlete he is. But uh, the, the clock is definitely ticking for Saquon based on the fact that he just has not been able to stay on the field lately. 
All right, there you go. You have all you need to know about the Giants. Joe DeLeon from the Big Blue View Giants podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Joe, we really appreciate you spending the time today here on Silver and Black Today Game Day. Yeah, thanks for having me, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens this weekend against the Giants and Raiders. All right, take care. All right, there you go. That was Joe DeLeon. Again, thanks for being with us. And Mo, uh, this Giants team, like you said, you watch them a lot. I think the Raiders, as, as, as down as the Giants can look at time, as bad as they can look at offense's time, uh, they still have that scrappy defense. And the offense has tools. So I think the Raiders uh, today out there are going to have to be careful, make sure that they play the game they can play. As I said to him, I know it sounds weird, but at 2-6, and six, I still think the Giants are a dangerous team. He talked about it. That defense is still formidable if that offense can get going because, as we know, the Raiders have dealt with a similar situation in the reverse where the defense hasn't been able to get off the yes. field and the offense has to put up all the points. So Raiders fans understand how one side of the ball can affect the other, and when you play complementary football, it all works well and you can turn things around. There you go, Mr. Mostradamus himself. He's, he's predicting what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the final segment is we get you ready for the Raiders versus the Giants coming up top of the hour here on Silver and Black Today game day only on The Fan in Las Vegas. Don't go anywhere, Raider Nation. Raider Nation is fired up. It's Silver and Black Today game day. Welcome back on this Sunday Silver and Black Today game day as we get set for the Raiders. They're out on the East Coast coming up. We are your pregame show. They're coming up at the top of the hour uh, against the New York Giants. Want to thank again Joe DeLeon from the Big Blue View podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, who was our guest, gave us some great insight there to the Giants, their struggles this year, and what the Raiders will be facing out at MetLife Stadium here in just a few minutes. All right, Mo, we look back at the Raiders on the field. Uh, We look at the fact that the Raiders did not make any significant moves at the trade deadline, um, and they have some players coming back from injury. Darren Waller is back on the field. Was there, were you expecting the Raiders to make any sort of move at the trade deadline? Yeah, I was, I wouldn't say expecting. I was hoping that they would make a move for a a right (laughs) tackle. Uh, I put out an article on Vegas Sports Today suggesting maybe they should go after Dennis Kelly, who's a backup right tackle for the Packers. The Packers are getting healthy across the offensive line. Dennis Kelly hasn't played a snap for the Packers this year. so Which is crazy. he has a ton of experience. He has a ton of experience at right tackle. They're not using him, so I felt like he would be the perfect fill-in, and he's played well. He played well last year for the Titans at the position. I thought the Raiders should have gone after him. The other position, I felt like the Raiders should have beefed up along the interior of the defensive line. I suggested Andrew Billings for the Cleveland Browns again, but they stay put and I guess they're going to work with what they have. Yeah. And that's the thing too, that after that rugs incident, we saw Dylan Stoner get promoted from the practice squad. Um, you know, as of uh, this show, we haven't heard of any, any signings of the Raiders from a wide receiver perspective. Um, so they're going to go in house, but we've seen that kind of, that's been sort of a common theme this year. Hasn't it Mo? When people have gone down, when they've had situations or question marks, they haven't been quick to try to go out and find somebody. Yes, they've picked up a couple guys off the waiver wire like DJ Fluker and stuff like that, but they've been pretty close and saying, you know what, we got stuff in-house and we're going to trust our, our evaluation here internally. Yeah, I hate to sound cliche, but it's basically next man up for the Raiders. That's the mentality they're going with. They're, I mean, people will call it maybe hitting the panic button if they go out and sign this guy, sign that guy. But they it seems that they feel confident of what they have in that locker room. Players who necessarily aren't starting but are backups, they feel like those guys can fill in and play well in a pinch or down the stretch. Yeah, the other thing was we saw uh, everyone's favorite backup quarterback, 
Nathan Peterman <laughs> was released and then re-signed back to the practice squad for the Raiders. Uh, but th- what does that tell you about uh, Marcus Mariota and his health? I mean, he's he struggled with health here in Las Vegas as he did when he was a Tennessee Titan. But now they must be be pretty confident that should something uh, happen to Derek Carr, that Marcus Mariota is healthy and ready to go so that they need a third quarterback on the active roster. At least you hope so, <laughs> because I mean Derek, Derek Carr. I mean to Derek Carr's credit, and I think this is this is undersold a bit about him. Is he he's been relatively healthy, even when he does get banged up, he's back up and he's back out there. He doesn't miss a lot of time. So Derek Carr's been pretty much kind of like an Iron Man for the Raiders. So I'm not, so I'm sure they they have confidence that he'll be fine as long as you know they can keep his jersey clean and keep the pressure away from them. Talking about the Ruggs issue now on the field, and that is with Henry Ruggs gone uh, and no longer a Raider and the fact that he was one of those playmakers for this team on offense, you suddenly have to switch things around. You have to have the next man step up, like you said a minute ago, Mo. But you also have to maybe think about using other weapons that you have. We saw, of course, Foster Moreau step in for Darren Waller before the before the uh, bye week and did well, so they didn't skip a beat there at tight end. Now you're going to ask Waller maybe to do a little more without rugs out there. Um, and then, of course, we saw our man, Kenyon Drake, step it up. You think you're going to see this team do what it's done over the last two weeks? Or what kind of adjustments, what sort of changes will you see without rugs out there and the need for them to find new ways to make plays downfield? Well, during the week, uh, coaches have talked up Zay Jones, our guy Zay Jones, who yes. a lot of people I didn't was wrong. believe in. I was wrong. Uh, Gruden was high on him, and now it's his time <laughs> to shine if, if he can if he could step up. So a lot of people have talked about him. A lot of people are talking about Brian Edwards, and I think it's, yeah. it's possibly his time to, to step up. I know he hasn't been as consistent as Ruggs, but he's had some big moments in the fourth quarter and overtime this in the season. So I think it's his it's his chance to really blossom into something uh, substantial in that offense. And also, if you if you're really thinking about it, I think the Raiders can use more two tight end sets. You, uh, you mentioned Foster Moreau. Uh, you can have Foster Moreau and Darren Waller out there more together. Uh, gives that offense, give defenses something to think about in the middle of the field. So the Raiders do have some weapons. You mentioned even Kenyon Drake, uh, more screen passes to Josh Jacobs. So the, Ra- the Raiders have a loaded offense. It's just can these guys step up and gel together and make contributions? Well, how, how much does it hurt? I mean, look, you always want that vertical threat, right? So, so that was the idea behind, in the first place, drafting Henry Ruggs, even though we talked about some of how, why that was flawed because he was good in other areas. But still, you like to have some, that one guy who can take off the top of the defense. Um, with that gone now, though, what do the Raiders? Uh, what do the Raiders do? I mean, you have to get somebody to step up. Somebody's got to step up. There's no question about that. Uh, but when you look at that and fixing what they need to fix on offense, because they're not perfect on offense, as good as they've been the last couple of games. Um, you talked about the two tight end sets. You talked about using the running backs differently. Um, is that is that really the next progression for this team? Uh, and and are they going? How much? Will they miss rugs on the field? I think they'll miss him in a sense that Darren Waller is not going to get as many open looks because with a with a speedy mm-hmm. wide receiver on the perimeter, now the safeties are not going to play so deep. Now they'll step up into the box. Now they'll step up into the seam areas, and and Waller may see a little more crowd, much more crowd in the middle of the field. So he may not have as many open looks. But this is where the play action comes in. The Raiders have been using play action since Greg Olson's taken over play calling duties, and I think that will allow the Raiders to still take some deep shots downfield. It's a matter of who is going to catch those deep balls from Derek Carr. And I think that's, again, where Zay Jones can come in. I believe he had a 43-yard catch in the last against the Eagles. If you remember, he had that big catch in overtime against the Ravens to win the game in, in the season opener. So, again, I think it's his time to shine. 
I'm not saying he's going to average 20 yards per catch, but he can he can definitely make some contributions off that play action. You talk about a great opportunity, right, for Zay Jones, as you just mentioned. He can step into what has been a terrible week and really, you know, from a football perspective, you know, have people focus. And if he can do what they think he can do and what they've talked about for two years that I've refused to believe until he convinced me a little more this year, uh, then that would be huge for them. Mo, switching to the defense now. Well, wait, wait, let me stop there. Offensive line. Okay, the offensive line's put together two games, right? We talked about this on every single show since the beginning of the season. Um, and they've they've struggled at times. They put together two good games. We saw even guys that you said you're concerned with, like Brandon Parker at right tackle, do pretty well. Um, this that's why that game like this scares me because the Giants are not they're they're good on the edge. Um, they have some physical guys up front, so I don't think this is going to be an easy game. No matter what the score ends up being, I think we're going to see more too about this offensive line. Have they really turned the corner? Have they gelled enough to say, okay, now this offensive line it might not be the best in the world but we're also not as concerned about it definitely two guys i want to highlight because this could be a physical game in the trenches leonard williams yes he had a he had a big year in 2020 he's still pretty good out there five and a half sacks aziz ojalari who's my dark horse to win defensive rookie of the year also five and a half sacks so between those two guys the raiders are going to have to be on their p's and q's as far as the offensive line and protecting car because they could potentially wreck this game if the Raiders are not ready. And you talked about Alex Leatherwood. You talked about Brandon Parker. That line is still gelling. I know they had a bye week to get it together, but you still want to see that continued progress. You saw some glimpse of hope before the bye week, and you're hoping that continues afterward. All right, Mo, switching to the defense, of course, we've been talking about the last few weeks, the Raiders run defense, and now you're facing a Giants team, no Saquon Barkley, uh, but this team can still run the ball. They have somebody familiar to the Raiders. Uh, Do you think that's going to be a problem for them today in New York? Yeah, it could be, but as Joe Dillon said, the offensive line has been up to par for the Giants. So to me, when you have a running back like Devontae Booker, no offense to him, but when you have an average back, he's at the mercy of his offensive line. So if the offensive line is playing well, then that running back is going to play a lot better. If the offensive line is not getting a push at the line of scrimmage, then he can only do but so much. So I, I, I joked on the previous show about Devontae Booker's revenge game against the Raiders, but I don't see him going off for 100, 120 yards. I think the Raiders are understand that you know we have to plug the run defense. We, we didn't add anyone, so I think you'll see a spirited effort in the trenches from that group in the interior of the defensive line. Anything concern you? I mean, the defense had been doing so well, especially up front. Yannick Ngakwe had the big game. He was the AFC player of the week right before the bye. Max Crosby continues to be a force on that side, on his side of the ball. And so when you look at this defense going against this Giants offense, which seems to be very discombobulated, can't find itself, play calling is under is suspect according to to those that we've talked to about the Giants when you look at that situation is this maybe the 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 type of game that the defense can come out and and continue to to take that momentum because I think I really think as good as the offense has been for the Raiders to me the momentum that you've seen when the Raiders have had these big pushes has been because the defense makes plays or makes stops when they need to yeah, absolutely. When a defense can get off the field on third down and not, and not give up touchdowns, I know sometimes in the red zone it can be a little shaky. But the defense has been steady all year. I, I feel like the defense is going to be fine. Of course, no more hammer rolls on the offensive side of the ball. But if the Raiders can 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 remain solid defensively against, against a Giants team that's struggling to put up points, you take a lot of pressure off the offense. And, you, and as I said, you're going to win a game, a low-scoring game, maybe 23-17, somewhere in that neighborhood. But I think the defense... 
uh, will, will lead the team to a victory this uh, on Sunday. Well, well, so when you look at it, Mo, um, and you look at the fact that the, 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 the Raiders going back east to play the Giants, so they're playing the early, and back when John Gruden was coach, he brought up, and I thought it was a good point, he said, look, because of the heat in Las Vegas, which is not now a factor, we practice early anyway. We're an early practicing team, so when we go back east, these guys are used to getting up. It's not like they would roll into practice at 11 or 12 in the afternoon. They're practicing at 6 in the morning. They were reporting to the, the, the center in Henderson at 6.30 in the morning and getting ready for practice by 7. 30. So with that in mind, then adding in, of course, the distraction of, of the tragedy of the past week, then the fact that they have to play the Chiefs next week, how rough is it going to be? Is this going to be the same situation we had when the Raiders went to play the Broncos after the John Gruden incident and we kind of had to see what they looked like when they went on the field? As, as much as they say they're focused, you know, everybody's going to say that because they're professional, but how big of a game is this going to be for this team before they hit this brutal stretch on the schedule? I think it's huge because what could happen is a snowball effect. If they come out flat, then you're thinking, oh, here comes the second half of the season swoon mm. again. Now, for obvious reasons this time around, but you mentioned going east and, and what's transpired over the past week and can the offense uh, still be explosive without Henry Ruggs? A lot of those questions are going to be answered today. And I think it's going to be huge for the Raiders to come out quick. They, they can't put themselves in another 14-0 hall as they've done early in the season. They haven't since uh, Rich Basaccia has taken over. But they did have a problem stopping the Eagles early in that game where I believe Miles Sanders had a couple of solid runs. Of course, he went out with a sprained ankle. But if the Giants are focusing on the run game, that's something that the Raiders need to focus on because, again, if they fall behind, they could be in trouble because the Giants have a solid defense. It's funny. You read my mind on that one because, to me, that's the key to this game against the Giants like it was last time. Uh, and that is the fact that they need to come out fast, right? They need to come out quick. They need to establish, like you said, and like Joe said, they're going to focus on the Raiders' um, run game because they know it hasn't been great. And so they're going to try to force Derek Carr to take the looks. Like I said, if you watch the game against the Chiefs, the Giants were very good pre-snap of making Patrick Mahomes think more than he should, right? Disrupt the quarterback, make him think something else is coming so he switches up the plays, and suddenly you kind of have a disjointed effort. And to me, that's what the Raiders have to be careful of, and the only way to do that is to come out quick, run the ball, establish it, which is going to be dependent on that offensive line we talked about already. Uh, and I like their chances of doing that and controlling it. I just think that this game and the pace that they can set early on will dictate the eventual outcome. I, too, think the Raiders will win this game. I know you and I disagree. I think they'll win it by a little more than, than, a, than a touchdown. But at the same time, I think there is the opportunity here, if they don't come out and look sharp from the beginning, that they could find themselves in a battle. Yeah, I don't know, Scott. Moshe Damas thinks it's going to be a slugfest. So <laughs> you, you know how Raiders fans feel of Moshe Damas. No, I'm kidding. Oh, but yes. Honestly, honestly speaking, I really think that this has the makings of a physical matchup. I wouldn't say sloppy <clears throat> um, because the Raiders have kind of buttoned it up and Derek Carr has been having an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary season by his standards. Uh, best season in his career, I feel. As long as he's steady and the defense is steady, I think the Raiders will be fine. But again, it's not going to be easy because this is a Giants team that probably looked at this game and says, if we go two and seven, the season is basically over. So they're going to be fighting for their, for I won't say playoff lives, but fighting to stay alive in the playoff picture. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, also, too, we, we, we know Josh Jacobs is healthier. The week off helps. 
Uh, we're starting to see some of the other injuries that the Raiders have have had to deal with uh, starting to to get better and repair themselves, if you will, or at least they're taking treatment and getting better. Uh, Richie Incognito, I've said it openly that I just don't believe he'll ever play down for the Raiders. That's nothing against the guy. Just at that age with that injury and the way it's gone, I don't see it happening. So, Mo, they're not going to get a lot of help up front on the offensive line, but the, the potential of this team getting back a Trayvon Mullen, getting back a Damon Arnett, whether that's a good or a bad thing, over the next several weeks will be good. They really need some bodies out there as they go into this tough part of the schedule. Yeah, I mean, if Trayvon Mullen comes back, great. Uh, I understand Damon Arnett is a healthy body. You need healthy bodies. But if, you know, keep Brandon Faison out there. Yes, <laughs> Even yes, if, yes. You know, that, that if he, in a small sample, I believe he already leaves the Rays in pass breakup. So if he's still on the roster, which he will be, I believe he's the next guy up if he can't get Trayvon Mullen back. But of course, if Trayvon Mullen is back the second half of the season, the momentum that the Raiders got in five or two start is definitely sustainable for a playoff run. Yes, it's true. For Mo Moten, I am Scott Colbrands. And make sure you follow Mo on Twitter, by the way, at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at L-V Gully. This has been Silver and Black Today, game day only here on The Fan in Las Vegas. We appreciate you guys, and we will talk to you next week. Enjoy the game. Raiders, Giants, coming up top of the hour. Take care, everyone.